0: we come from a very close um, ethnic group in terms of um, being open and honest about disabilities um, in our communities and so not only is it a battle to kind of just educate people in, people in those communities it's also the taboo the stigma um, of actually saying I've got an autistic son, because it's not spoken about like that at all.
1: On this episode of the Unconventional Podcast, I meet Anne Lee, born in Vietnam, but with a true East End vibe. Anne is the mother to an autistic son, but living in a world with strong cultural values, finds it really hard to talk about such things with her nearest and dearest. Anne and I first met on LinkedIn where she spotted me as an advocate for change, someone that was openly talking about neurodiversity and autism specifically within my own son. Anne has found LinkedIn an amazing place to share and understand what's going on in our own world. And then when Anne developed what would probably be most women's worst nightmare in alopecia, she then found another community on LinkedIn, a community of people that were able to help and support her in what was a very difficult time. This was an emotional episode to film and record. I hope you get as much from it as I did. Hello, Anne. Hello. Thank you for joining us on the Unconventional Podcast, and thank you for giving up your time. Um, how long is it since we've, when, when did we first meet?
0: I don't even know. Probably, I, I started kind of um, hanging around if you like, around in LinkedIn, probably about two years ago properly, so maybe a little bit longer. So I kind of started connecting with people around about that time. So it might have been actually been about two years since we've been connected. So a li- quite a while.
1: It, it, I, it, I lose track. I completely lose track of time because I, I've been on the platform, I keep saying three years, but I think it's actually more like three and a half, possibly even four. Um and um, it, yeah, so two years, and obviously, I guess our first real interaction was probably around autism, and then when you eventually went on to spend lots of money on unconventional hoodies.
0: Yes. Um, I think your kind of posts were the kind of first, I think you were the first kind of parent oh. I met on here who had a child with autism. Right. And um, previously, before that my son hadn't gone through the whole process of getting diagnosis Mm -hmm. and he's still going through the process of getting diagnosed um so I think you were the first parent who actually I noticed said um my son's autistic and slowly I kind of got to meet other parents who children who were autistic also so it was like a whole community that i kind of thought oh wow there's actually people on here and um so as you know with the process it's quite a long process so um we're still not there yet at the end so so that's how we met, and then yes, my whole family's kind of kitted yeah. out in your um, your unconventional <laughs> hoodies, and um, my husband's—I think his one—he uh, had a black one—and um, it's kind of gone through many washes and the cycle so <laughs> it's uh, the string on the hoodie hood itself is kind of coming out so um mommy, it, so, so um mommy, why is he wearing headphones because he he he, he so he can hear me properly yeah. <laughs> so um yeah so um, we, we kind of love them yeah. and winter's coming up again so um they'll probably be coming out of the the bags of to, yeah. to get an, another year wear again before they outgrow. <laughs>
1: that's a, that's amazing because and and they will last because I mean we've we wear ours to death um but my all of the ones that we had in the original batch are now hanging up in this office you can't actually see them at the moment because they're behind my screens but people always say to me do you work in your wardrobe and I say no I just I haven't got room in my wardrobe in my actual bedroom to keep putting new range hoodies in um so I ended up hanging them in my office as like almost like a shrine to the, the original styles and, and the prototypes that we had done that we never actually put into production. Um, I'm, I am I wanna kind of, before we came on, before we hit the record button, we were about to launch into a conversation, because I asked you, how do you pronounce your name? Because I thought it was Anne, and then I was like, but there's an H in it, and what if I get it wrong? So I'm just gonna ask, I'm gonna do the decent thing and ask, and then and then you obviously, were about to go into a, a kind of, a conversation about where it comes from, and and it, and I'm always fascinated by conversations where where people haven't uh, always been in the UK, or they've they've got um, history that dates back and and goes in other places around the world. I'm always fascinated by that because I'm really boring. I was just born here, never really been anywhere else of any real note. I have, I've been on holidays and stuff, but I've never lived anywhere. So I'm always fascinated by those sort of stories. So tell us a bit about where a the 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 spelling of your name comes from and then and then your sort of background
0: yeah so um basically um well my parents uh, are chinese so um we um as a living back in those days um they (laughs) used to go between china and vietnam because obviously they share a border so um my so when i was born i was on the Vietnam side of the border and so when we um, emigrated to Hong Kong to eventually come to the UK um, they obviously had to translate all our names they obviously had to translate all our names into English spelling because obviously for passport reasons etc etc um, so I ended up having the Vietnamese spelling of my name and um, it's not just my first name it's also my surname so my full name is Anne Lee so both of them are spelt Vietnamese ways rather than the Chinese way so um if I was a Chinese way it would be Ann spelled A-N-N or A-N-N-E and Lee will be L-E-E but as you can see from my profile yeah. I'm spelled L-Y so all my life it's like is it Lie? Is it Lee? Is it Anne? Is it Anne? Is it Anna? So um, I've had this all my life. So um, over the years, people have got better at pronouncing my name. And so sometimes people um, even get it right. I'm like, woohoo. And other times they don't, but it doesn't bother me because I kind of used to it now. So, um, so yeah, that's my background of how my name has been spelled. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you meet anyone kind of in my kind of generation, being born at this in the the late 70s um most of the girls in vietnam and china will have the same name as me yeah. so um, you can walk down the street in china and shout the name ann and someone will answer you anymore. so yeah so that's the history of my name
1: when did um when did so obviously born on the vietnam side when so what was the journey from then to then ended up in the uk what what how did that come about what was the story there
0: so um as you know there was the vietnam war mm. so um i was born towards the end of it nearly nearly to like the completion of the war and so from i don't know i d- i don't like to always um give my side of the story because sometimes it can be quite biased because it's what we live and um history might have a different version of it like you know the textbooks might say blah 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 and our version it might be quite different because everyone's experience is a unique one and it's like that's their reality rather than someone from another country writing about the vietnam war so um obviously my parents lived through it the Vietnam War, and they had to often go and hide in caves to avoid the bombs and stuff like that. So, um, obviously, um, during towards the end of it, um, I was born, and um, they, what my parents' version of it is like, to make up for bombing the country and killing so many people, um, they decided, oh, the best thing to do is kind of give people a, a home in a different country, maybe, to make up for the years of devastation that they caused and people's lives that they ruined, people's families that they killed, etc, etc. So the first step was to um, take all those to Hong Kong who wanted to, to leave the country. And then from Hong Kong was the big base and lots of people end up going to America the UK or Australia. So those were the options back then when people were able to emigrate out of Vietnam. And so my parents chose to come to the UK um, and quite a lot of people within our village, the surrounding areas came to the UK, Um, but none of my um, mother's side of the family emigrated anywhere. So they're all back in China, but my dad's side of the family all went to America. So um, that's our history of how we got here. Um, so I was quite young. So I came to the UK when I was about two and a half, three years old. And um, so in between that time, I was born. Then my sister's, my sister was born in, in uh, Hong Kong. And then my other sister was born in the UK. And then my brother was born in the UK. So we're kind of um, born in different countries. Um, yeah. So that's, that's our history of how we came to the UK
1: yeah i must say when when we when you first came on we'd we'd never actually spoken outside of dms and obviously social media and stuff um and when you first came on it it was literally just like chatting to chatting to me, mate down the road it was like all right and all right and it's like there's literally no hint of of anything there at all really is there in terms of accent
0: no no not at all and people who um who don't see my face and actually speak to me on the phone. Just think I'm just like yeah, a high-pitched East Ender. And uh, that, <laughs> that's what I do sound like, and it, and it's fine. Um, we, as um, Chinese people, are quite high-pitched anyway. But um, so with the East End accent, people are like, uh, and then when they see me sometimes, if they don't see my name, they're like, oh, you, you're not an East Ender English. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Yeah I think you definitely embrace the uh, the East Ender that's for that's for sure.
0: Of Eastenders East Enders is great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
1: um so when so you say you were quite young when you what what when was that in the 80s? 80s. So I guess you come into the UK in that time. Um it, I want to kind of shift it and then kind of pull it back a little bit. Obviously you're going through processes with your... Is it? Is it one of your children or or all of them in terms of your exploring the ASD path?
0: Um, just one, my middle son.
1: Just your middle son. Um, back when you were, I guess, his age, the awareness around all of this just didn't exist, did it? Um, and I guess you coming into the UK not really knowing the system or, or even kind of wh- how you would go about investigating anything like that, if you were even struggling, was p- just probably a no-no. What have you found in the, now that you're going through that process with your middle son, What how have you found things have evolved and, and are you finding it a, a challenging process? Do you feel like there's lots of improvements that need to be made? What What's your experience of, of that process?
0: Um it's quite um it's quite a difficult process in terms of um if you've never if you've never if you've never been in the, um the process before it's quite um an alien concept in terms of like you're just thrown into into the process without people trying to explain to you what the steps are so um, we went through um when my son was two I took him to the doctors and said he is speech delayed because at two, he he still wasn't speaking. And um, so they were said, oh, we're not worried because when they start school, their vocabulary just explodes and you kind of just they just kind of catch up and they they don't get concerned to about about four, four and a half, um, they said. So we went to the doctors and they said they're not worried until about four and a half, four years old. If they're still not speaking properly, then that's when they would go into speech therapy. Um, right. so he started reception, I mean, nursery. And um, the teachers kind of said, I think he might need additional support because he's not settling in as he should. But with, for us, that was just normal. That was just him. He's a very active, very lively boy and he, when we go anywhere, he, um, he would just go off and do his own thing, run around, have a really good time and so I would never be worried about him going to school because I thought he'd be fine, he's not a shy child, he, he would just go in there and be fearless and do his thing mm-hmm. and so we thought that's just his personality, we didn't, we, we wasn't concerned, we were just saying oh he, he just didn't know how to communicate um, his knees at that point and maybe at some point he would um, he would outgrow it and etc cetera, etc cetera. so school kind of flagged that there might be some concerns and he might need additional support and so throughout the nursery time um we just kind of um they started the process of um saying oh he may, he might need um to go through the process to get assessed whether he's got autism or um, ADHD or whatever it is that they think he might he might have. So um, we were saying, OK, obviously, whatever whatever he needs to do, whatever he needs, we will support the school because at the end of the day, it's about him getting what he needs, getting the support that he needs and going through and getting education. And um, so we just... A supported school, the school supported us, and he had some great teachers, etc. So um, so we just went through the process, and talking to the school, to the council, the kind of process, it was quite difficult because in their heads they kind of know what the process is, what's the next steps, what, what the barriers were, etc, etc. But as a parent who has never been through that process at all, um, I was like, okay, what's the next steps? What happened? How long, how long does this piece of paper take? How long does this form take? How long, you know, how, how long does it come back? are they gonna really pay for someone to give him one-to-one, et cetera, et cetera? So um it it was a, a steep learning curve for myself, um, mm-hmm. who have never encountered a, a process or actually know someone who was at school who's actually been through that process. Because until until my child um, started um, the process. I didn't even realise that our mainstream primary school supported kids mm. with autism. And mm. there's only when I started talking to the Senko coordinator, um, they were like, "Oh yeah, we've got twenty-one kids here who 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 have been through the process here. And uh, in Year Six now, some of them in Year Six now, you wouldn't even know that." they've been through this process and need additional support because they've kind of flourished etc mm. um so um i was like oh uh, until you kind of step into the world you're kind of oblivious to um to actually how many kids who do have um autism or additional needs that do need additional support um so you're just kind of going oh a- uh, around in your merry little ways, taking your kids to school and going home, etc. And then you're actually thinking, actually, you don't even notice anything. And now, so with my son going through the process, I kind of go on the street and I actually see adults who I think, actually, you you might be autistic, you might be, etc. Who <laughs> previously, 100% honest, hands up, i will be like, you're, you used to look like a weirdo to me. Mm. But now, I'm like, actually that was so wrong of me to actually think that back then but now I'm like I you, pro- you probably just you probably are autistic or you got ADHD whatever it is and you, you've done great to mm. be able to go to the supermarket and function and etc etc because for my child as a five-year-old now it's hard for me to kind of see what he'd be like when he's 15 when he's 25 when he's 35 etc so um Yeah, I I still, um, so he's got all his um, uh, support in place and stuff now, but we're still waiting for to actually go and see an autistic practitioner to get the official diagnosis. Mm. So that's where we're at at the moment.
1: Okay. Do you think that's um, why it's so hard to sometimes educate people that don't live in that world? Because, you know, you touched on something there that prior to you being part of that world, because you'd started that process. Um, And and whatever it was that kind of triggered you to think about those things, you, like me, before I went down that road eight, nine years ago, I had a very different outlook on different types of people. And to be honest, we weren't in that world of LinkedIn and social media trying to overly influence us. It wasn't really spoken about, even, even seven, eight, nine years ago. But I think... It is difficult I think to educate the the people that don't live in that world um, because i th- it's so often unless you're dealing with it and facing it day in day out you you just you just can't comprehend what it's like um, so I mean f- from your perspective, have you ever looked you said you look at other adults and think, and I do that. I now look at all the people I used to work with in in digital marketing. We had a massive tech team, and you know they were the sort of guys that were kind of buried in website code and and building site. And I used to look at the way they communicate and their body language and their eye contact and the different things. And I used to think you are one hundred percent on the spectrum. You may not know it, but knowing what I now know, you definitely are. Um, do you ever look at yourself, your husband? Because I look at, me and Lynn's look at ourselves all the time and, and wonder, has it come from you?
0: Yes, completely. Because um, from, I'm still on the very beginning of educating myself about the people on the spectrum, autism, etc. cetera. Um, and some of it people have said is inherited. And I do look at myself and and my husband and say, um, there's there's aspects that I think, oh, maybe. And there's sometimes I think, maybe not. And then I look at my my parents and they, uh, is it did it skip a generation? Did it come from them, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yes, it definitely plays on your mind. And that was and as a parent who probably, quite new to process you do look at yourself and your immediate family and think actually it it must have come from someone or somewhere because it's autism you're born with it it's not something you kind of just kind of suddenly one day wake up and you, you're autistic so so yeah definitely and the other thing that I wanted to raise today is that I'm Chinese and my husband is Bangladeshi we come from a very close um, ethnic group in terms of um, being open and honest about disabilities um, in our communities. And so not only is it a battle to kind of just educate people in in those communities, it's also the taboo, the stigma Mm. um, of actually saying, I've got an autistic son. Mm. Because it is not spoken about like that at all. Because me and you were having this of open conversation about it, I could not go and speak to an auntie down the road who is from Bangladeshi community and say, um, uh, "Your son might be autistic too." You can't. You can never have that wow. conversation because it's such a taboo subject. And mm-hmm. even if people who have uh children who need additional support who are disabled etc etc people just don't talk about it outside of their their four walls basically because it seems as a bad thing because number one they've got a disability etc etc um it'll be shame on the family because you've got a disabled child or etc etc and you know it's just not talked about it's Mm. it's a difficult difficult conversation to have. So, you know, I could easily go and talk to someone about it who is, you know, part of my thing of who's English and white Mm. and say I've got an an autistic child. But it's not always possible to speak Mm. to openly about it in my own community Mm. and in the Bangladeshi community because it's just not something people openly talk about. So, yeah, so it's a, a double edged sword if you like you can't you you want to raise awareness but then there's not other people who are willing to kind of help you spread the message spread the awareness and so it's you you feel like you're just paddling in your little boat by yourself and trying to get people to come into the boat and they're like no we're not coming into that boat today we're not going to talk about it we're just kind of dig our head in the sand and just deal with deal with it privately so the education um, of people in certain communities or well, in my two communities is quite difficult um so there are people who I've met on LinkedIn who are from like the Bangladeshi community for example and they have got autistic children and we you know we've talked about it but it's quite difficult for us to kind of spread the awareness spread the kind of you know sometimes when you've got a child who is um, autistic you just want someone to kind of just look at you not even saying it it, just look at you and say I understand you don't have to stress Mm. about it you just do your thing you just be a mom you just make your child happy and that's it but if if people are not in the same boat people who don't understand it don't want to talk about it, don't want to acknowledge it. Is it's a kind of just uphill battle all of the time. So um that's where I'm at.
1: <laughs> it must it must be so I mean, just listening to that, to be honest, because we've always had the support of both sets of parents. Um I think in the early days there was the the typical Oh, they might—they'll grow out of that. Or Jake, will, Jake, Jake, Jake might grow out of that by the time he's whatever. And obviously, Lindsay and I used to get really frustrated with that because we knew that arguably it would only actually get worse as he got older, especially the social anxiety side as he gets into the teenage years and hormones start to kick in. And you know, kids at secondary schools can be mean. You know, my my nephew has just done these GCSEs, and he absolutely smashed it. You know, he got like nines and whatever they call them now, eights in everything. Um, but I remember at the end of his first year, he was having a torrid time and he was being bullied. And the bullying's not like when you and I were kids. You know, you get a slap around the face or a kick to the back of the leg. And, you know, bullying now is so broad because it's all online. Um, and he was faced with real attacks, you know, WhatsApp groups and stuff. Because he, he was he was basically an older version of Jake. He would say things that would ultimately rub people up the wrong way because he just didn't have that filter in his brain that said, this might annoy people, so I won't say it. He just said it. And it, and he did annoy people for for those reasons. And then they kind of jumped on and attacked him. And I remember saying to his mum, my sister-in-law, after year seven, I said, he's a super intelligent lad that when he finishes school, the world will open up for him. But the next five years, he's basically got to endure because he won't enjoy it. And he didn't. He didn't enjoy it. And that, that's the sad reality of probably what Jake's about to face as he goes into secondary school next year. Um, but it—it it, that must have been or must be So extremely difficult because my parents did evolve and it did become easier for them to adjust. And as Linz and I kind of kept hammering home that message of this is what it is. These are the difficulties we face. You need to see this with your own eyes. And then as time went on, they did see it and they now totally get it. Um, But I guess, you know, what you've just said there around how difficult it is for you to share in your own communities that's probably why so many people share so much on social media isn't it
0: yeah and and i think um that's why i share on mm. so, on social media because it's almost like um so, it is weird to say this but sometimes strangers show a kind of different level of kindness compared to your own community to your own family um and it is also easier to talk to strangers to kind of um someone to say it's okay to feel like that today and so I think that's why the 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 world is exploded with social media because sometimes it's not just about autism I think it's just about people being able to just share their feelings and people to actually some acknowledges to say actually it's fine you feel what the hell you want to feel Mm. and it's fine and tomorrow's another day, you, do your, you carry on doing your battling with whatever you need to battle. We're, we're here to kind of just listen mm. to you mm. and not pass judgment. But when you're in a kind of close family um, network, it's, I think it's harder to kind of have those difficult conversations. So that's why I think um, everyone just shares, they're good, they're bads. they're uglies on social media as much as they do now. Because um, when we were younger, this was never the case with social mm. media. We've had, like, I've had Facebook, for example, for years and years and years. And now you're just seeing all sorts of people sharing mm. all sorts of things that you would never, ever see 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Because back mm. then it was like, oh, everything's private, everything's private. And now mm. it's like, it's fine to share.
1: And... It is, um, I find it, and, and I do it myself, um, I'm very fortunate that I've got, um, the, like I said, that that network around me. But in so many cases, it is, a, it is a cry of acknowledgement, isn't it? It's a cry for support. It's a, I wonder if there's people out there that are actually going to get this perhaps more than the, the people in my immediate circle do. Um, and I think... You know, there's a lot of critique on social media, particularly on LinkedIn, around people talking about sob stories and people always sharing their, you know, what's going wrong in their world and all all the rest of it. But then the same people will then moan that people are only sharing the good and they're not actually giving the real life of of what's going on. And I think you you have to, one, one thing I've learned is that you have to share what you feel you're happy to share. And the right people that are going to support you and be in your circle will be in your circle, and and the people that won't, they might have something to say about it on occasion. But do you know what? Who cares? You're always going to attract that. Um, I. But but as we've said, I think that must have been a a particularly difficult time and remains to be a difficult time for for you. Um, in I want to kind of shift it to. When I first met you on LinkedIn, as we've just discussed, probably about two years ago, um, you were a VA and you had your VA business. Um, how long had you been doing that? And was, was your kind of um, commitments to the family and your newfound knowledge of your son and the process that you were going through there, was that what drove you to become a VA or had you been doing it for a lot longer than that?
0: No. um, So I think when I first started posting regularly, it was when I started becoming a VA because I got to the stage where as a mum of three, my brain was just like junk of just being a full time mum. I just kind of needed a different kind of outlet to let my brain function in a different capacity. Um, Because previously before that, I've always worked my whole life. And so I kind of gave up working when I had my first child. And um, I always wanted to be a full time mom because that's something I, I always believe if you're going to do something, do it properly and do it to your full potential. And luckily enough, um, we didn't need my income. So I could give up work and be a full time mom. And I really, really enjoyed it for a good five, five and a half years. So when I got to the stage where I started VA business, I was like, okay, I need some kind of something else to think about apart from the kids. They got to a certain age now, and they kind of, you know, um, don't need me twenty four hours a day. I kind of just like need an hour or two a day to kind of just do something else. So I, I managed to do VAing for about a year, and then I started having health conditions. As you, I think probably know my hair started falling out Mm -hmm. I got diagnosed with alopecia um I had other health conditions and then at that same point my son was going through the process of Mm. officially getting diagnosed as well um going starting through the process and I thought okay and something has to give um I have to give up something because it's too many things on my plate I can't Mm -hmm. juggle everything and I don't want my health to get worse I just want to kind of need to Um, look after myself a little bit more to kind of be able to go through the process with him be able to kind of um, I I know the autistic community will probably shout me down for saying this but when you have a child who possibly on the spectrum and you're exploring that um, you kind of go through a process where you kind of not grieve but you kind of need to accept that that child is not going to be the child you kind of anticipated or see. You're thinking, oh, he's going to be with X, Y, Z. But actually, he's not. And it's going to be a long process to get him to X, Y, Z. But he'll get there eventually, but it's just a different kind of route to get there. Rather than the straight path we were originally going to walk, it's going to be pretty much lots of circles, little wiggly lines, etc., etc., before we can get to that point where he's, you know... Um, self-efficient, independent, etc., etc. So it's going to be a long process, and it might take many years longer than we anticipated. So you kind of have to go. Well, for myself, I can't speak for anyone else. For myself, I kind of went through a process of kind of grieving that road we're going to have to walk, rather than kind of walking the straight line I, as I have done with my eldest child. And if you know what I mean. So, um, so I thought, okay, I have to give up something, and the VA business was something that I gave up. It was a no-brainer because I can't give up my children. I can't give up my health. The VA business, it's just at the end of the day, I know it sounds like, oh, my God, um, but it's just money. My health is more important. My child is more important. So um, so that's how long I was doing VAing. At, at some point in the future, I hope to go back um, when he's a little bit more settled, when we kind of know there's a plan in place. But I always know that he will always need me more than my other two children mm. do in mm. terms of his emotional support his kind of communication support i'm gonna to have to work with him a lot harder than i have with my eldest child to get him where he needs to get to be a uh, independent happy boy um so um so that's the history of my work um yeah so at some point i hope to get back because i really enjoyed being and and kind of looking for, after people looking after admin that's kind of things that I've always done all my life anyway so um so my skills are just getting transferred into um helping my son rather than helping someone else at the moment yeah you
1: you mentioned there that the the autistic community might shoot you down I think I I don't know you 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 the, the thing with autism is that it's so vast isn't it Um, and, uh, and one autistic child is, is so very different to the next autistic child. And I think that also plays, that that goes with, um, the way that people deal with it and the way that people adapt. And I don't think there's, you know, if there's a parent out there that says they found out their child was autistic and nothing changed and they didn't go through a series of emotions in terms of how they were going to deal with it, what, what what that was going to mean for the the future, um, how they were going to, you know, like us, I'm looking at secondary schools for Jake and it, and it is worrying me. It's worrying me that there's going to be a hell of a lot of people that he mixes with that won't understand his tone of voice. They won't understand the, the way that he communicates or the way that he consumes information. And that's a worry. And I think... You know, you you went through the process. You went through. I think there'll be millions of parents that would have that would have gone through that exact same thing. Um, I think it's it's only natural when you and and it's not that you're you're not embracing it. It's just those natural emotions that you you can't really control because you are worried for the future and you're worried for for them and and what the future is going to hold for them. Um, I want to. Um, you mentioned there about health now I remember the day that you came onto LinkedIn um, and talked about alopecia. And I think that was a, a particularly um, emotional post for you to write and, and deliver and I think probably for, for a lot of people to read that knew you and had known you for a while. what as a as a woman, how, how, how has that changed your world? Apart from the fact you've given up the VA in for for obvious reasons, what else does that do to you as a, as a woman?
0: Losing your hair, mm. it's um, it does weird things to your confidence that you kind of never really thought would you would have an issue with. Because I think um, although I'm an introvert, I'm quite a chatty, quite. Um, I've got quite high self-esteem in terms of like I'm not like oh my gosh blah 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 about myself I'm not that thing about myself I'm accept my flaws you kind of over the years kind of just learn to accept things about yourself and I'm quite in a happy place in terms of my self-esteem and stuff but then when I started losing my hair and finding patches on my head I was like oh my gosh what's going on you kind of so you kind of go through the whole worst case scenario thing am I gonna go bold is everything gonna come out gonna have to chop my hair off etc so I went through quite a few months of that that kind of self-doubt that kind of Uh, you know view myself in almost like a different light because suddenly something was kind of disappearing from yourself that was like obviously you've grown really attached to and you kind of never think about losing your hair um you well I've never thought about it until suddenly I started losing them so um so I had to give myself quite a good talking to for a long period of time to say you've got this it's fine if it comes out it comes out you kind of just have to deal with it as you go along because you kind of you never know um, how much is going to come out if it's going to come out so even now um, my hair still there is obviously very thin and the patches are slowly growing but they're not as bad as I first anticipated to but for me it was like a, a kind of journey to kind of accept the the circumstances I was under and it's the same thing with my autistic son it's kind of coming to accept it and kind of once you've got to that stage of taking that big step of acceptance then you kind of take smaller steps to kind of deal with things as they come along because obviously life throws things at you sometimes that are really unexpected and always about how you kind of deal with it and for myself luckily touch wood etc etc knock on my head that I'm quite uh, um, you have to learn to adapt and kind of accept situations and kind of make what you can out of it and for me um with my son with my hair with my health conditions I'm like uh, these are things that are within my control that I can manage and some things I can't they're out of my control then I just have to kind of just take it a day at a time an hour at a time a minute at a time and um it, it doesn't things always aren't in the same you know condition all the time it might be better tomorrow it might be a bit worse tomorrow they kind of just go with it rather than try to control everything because that's not possible and then you kind of drive yourself crazy and then you kind of you can't cope basically Mm -hmm. so it's for me it was quite a few months of just kind of accepting things and kind of in my mind dealing with um, things I can't control, because we're all in our own ways a bit of a control freak, aren't we? We want to manage everything, everything has to be perfect, etc., cetera, et cetera. And my journey within the last 12 months, it, it's about me learning to kind of accept things, deal with them, and kind of say, it's fine not to be okay, but you might be okay tomorrow. To, the next hour might be better. The next day might be better. So, yeah, so for me, it's just about, that journey for
1: myself. Have you found as you did with um, LinkedIn and that autism connection obviously you said when you found me and then obviously since then you've obviously found other people in that in that in those circles did you find a community around um, alopecia when you first talked about it on LinkedIn did did other people come to you and kind of were relating to the story How, how did that did you find that with with linkedin
0: oh my gosh it was almost um like the autism community yeah. i didn't think there was a alopecia community but actually there is and so some people they they have severe alopecia so they go completely bald and some people will have patches that you would never tell that they have alopecia because it's hidden under a certain layer so um so basically um when i first talked about it there were people within my kind of network who who said, "Oh, you need to talk to this person, or you need to connect to that person, because they're they're the amazing, um, and they're so supportive. They've got alopecia themselves, and they're like rocking their life. They, they've not let them hold hold them back at all. So it's so it, you know, although there's like lots of people on LinkedIn say you can't write about this stuff, you can't write your personal stuff, you can't write about this." But actually, when you do start writing about things that are personal to you, all of these people come out of the woodwork and say, actually, I'm here. I'm here. Um, I've got the same condition as you. I know exactly how you feel. Get in touch if you need to talk, etc., cetera, et cetera. So um, it, uh, it's been amazing with um, both my autistic son and my alopecia to find a community of people who actually understand completely where you're coming mm-hmm. from. And actually so supportive in ways that I could never imagine possible because yeah. they they just get it because they yeah. like they've been through it they're like i wore the badge I wore the t-shirt I'm still alive it kind of shows that basically you can survive quite difficult times in your life mm. um by, for me it's always like oh wow uh, I see uh, someone who's 25 um, and they've got autism, and they're like doing an amazing job. They've got a great life, and you're thinking that's amazing and so mm. inspirational because it shows that it, you can get there. It might take difficult path, might take time, but you can get there. So it's mm. for me, it's always seeing someone to inspire me to say you can do this, you can do this. So and that and the LinkedIn community are great with that. So definitely.
1: It's interesting you say there, actually, that you faced people kind of saying to you, you shouldn't be using LinkedIn for this and, and you shouldn't be talking about personal stories. I hear that all the time, you know, uh, people saying that, and that is a very personal story, isn't it? But then I I, I see some of the stuff that I've shared over the years around Jake and the, some of those challenges. I also see that as very personal. And do you know what? In three and a half years, I've never, ever had anyone say to me, this isn't the place for for those stories, and it, it it even now it shocks me that you, having shared that, which was an emotional topic to share, something you were really brave to share, um, you would get people saying this is the wrong, this is the wrong place to be sharing that that type of information. It, it just baffles me now.
0: Yeah, and I I think I think historically linkedin was always designed to be uh, a business platform where you look for work where you start your business and stuff like that but i think people those well those people who kind of come in um, uh is this is not facebook and stuff they kind of forget if if you hire a person to, into your business we're all human we you, you don't just talk about basically uh business stuff at work you you have a cup of coffee at your desk you talk about something personal you need some help with something you need to take some time off because you your kid's sick and stuff you talk about that stuff at work why can't linkedin be the kind of the same kind of supportive environment as you would in mo- well hopefully most workplaces um is life is life is a rainbow of things that happen to you and and I think it's about just supporting people wherever you can and I don't think it, it's got to a stage where LinkedIn is so business orientated that people can't share stuff I, I find actually sharing my business stuff when I was doing VAing the most boring post to ever write I I prefer to write funny things I prefer to Mm. write about my life my experiences because that's what I'm all about and I love reading people's personal stories you know the heartbreak I cry with them I laugh with them you know I lick the screens when they put out beautiful cakes and I think I wish I could bake something like that actually I want to eat it right now so um I, I I think people are getting better at sharing personal stuff with within LinkedIn um and I love LinkedIn because it's just it's just people are just so supportive when you find the right people to connect with and um and Facebook is the same if you find the right people it's it's fine Um, I'm addicted to uh, like Instagram and uh TikTok but I don't do anything on there because I just follow people and they make me laugh. I just go there to kind of sometimes escape my own things because TikTok videos are lovely when especially when you see something funny, a little hack in life and actually you do learn a lot of stuff if you give um other people opportunities kind of educate you so um, that's what I'm all about I love reading other people's stories and their life all the good stuff all the bad stuff and that's what makes us all human so I definitely all thumbs up for sharing personal stuff because I want to continue to do it
1: absolutely And and I think as you said you quite rightly said business is is personal People, you know, that old saying that, oh, it's not personal, it's, it's just business. The reality is when you're trying to market yourself, especially as a, as a relatively small or medium-sized business, you, 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 I've always said you always buy people before you buy their product or service. Um, and all right, people will argue, well, no one buys Jeff Bezos before they go and shop at Amazon, but none of us are Amazon. We're we're not Amazon. We're not Tesco's. We're not Walmart. We're just one, two, three man businesses or woman businesses that are trying to make ends meet. And the reality is, if someone's going to invest money in you, more often than not, they will invest in you as opposed to the name on 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 the door. If if that makes sense. Um, and I know we had a little break in the in the middle. Uh, it's been it's been a huge pleasure. We've had um. We've had some some nice little background music and, and noise going on in the whole uh, during the whole podcast. And the reason that I still wanted to do it, even though you'd mentioned that you had little people indoors, um, is because for those that really follow the unconventional journey and and the unconventional podcast, they know that it is all about that kind of real world authentic conversation. You know, I've I've done podcasts where I've been here as quiet as anything, and then both my boys will come out. And they'll and they'll start chatting on the podcast, or they'll want to get in the screen, and that's that's real life, especially now, especially now. Um, so you know, it's I think it's been it's been fantastic, and thank you for sharing what what I guess for you have been quite emotional topics.
0: Yeah, and uh, I and I think the younger me would have been scared to talk about all this stuff, but because i'm in my 40s now i've kind of embraced the ability to kind of share stuff and actually delve deeper into feeling it and being okay about feeling emotional about stuff i cry all the time with all sorts of stuff but it's a good release and that's why in some ways i share stuff on linkedin because it's just getting things off my chest um being an introvert we're all very good at keeping things to ourselves and it's just letting learning to let someone help you sometimes and they're you know kindness in strangers that, that's a saying isn't it but I think it, it is actually there are up to people out there who are kind enough to support you if you just tell someone so mm-hmm. definitely so it's not about just um, of something really serious has happened in your life and you're going to commit suicide so reach out but it's these everyday mm. things as well that kind of build and build and build so you get to a stage where you think you can't cope anymore so I never want to get to that stage so mm. that's why I share stuff because mm. it's just getting off my chest always helps. as an introvert I'm always like oh I need to sort this out myself but actually you don't you just mm. need to just share and someone there's always someone mm. to to kind of Drop you a DM, drop you a little video message. to say I'm here, I'm here. Just come, just reach out. So
1: yeah, I and I think that is one of the key takeaways from this podcast. Actually, you've just hit the nail on the head. People, we bottle stuff up, we bottle stuff up, we bottle stuff up, and then it comes out in ways that, in some, in some, you know, very often are unthinkable. Um, and when you are able to have that release, when you are able to share. And when you are able to be brave enough to share, even the real difficult ones, if it's if it's fairly regular, hopefully you never reach that point where you think, "I've got no other option but to to end it." Um, and you know that I think that is a huge takeaway and and something that um, I certainly pay a lot of attention to, especially on social media, when I hear the, the tragic stories of people that felt like they had no other no other option. And I think that is um, you've kind of really hammered home that message there that talking and sharing even when sometimes you don't want to or you don't think anyone's listening there is always someone listening and there's always someone that will relate and that can make a massive difference to people I think
0: yeah definitely and, and is and going forward that's massively important for my son to learn as mm. an autistic person that um you know he will get barriers, knockbacks, people being mean to me, him, people bullying him and it's him understanding and me modeling that he, he can share and he can talk about it and find ways of communicating that might not be verbal it might be other ways of communicating so for me it's definitely about sharing um, so and for him to, to learn that moving forward he can share as well.
1: Mm. And this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm going to let you go and um, do some entertaining. um, And uh, we will speak again very soon. Thank you very much for giving up your time today.
0: Thank you for having me.